0: The man who went back to the house he grew up in really wasn't looking to see his room again, really wasn't looking for something to connect with a house. He was really looking for his soul. Michael Rasnick lost touch with his soul and went to prison In prison, he found his soul. Let me talk with you today about your soul. When I was a kid in Little League, the coach would always say this, just about every practice he would say this, boys, please catch the ball with two hands. Please catch it with two hands. You'll have a much better chance of holding on to the ball, guys. But we all were watching TV and we're watching the, the major league players and they were making these great catches with one hand here and you know over the shoulder this and that and I used to try to make that Willie Mays basket catch and, and so you know every practice guys please pay attention catch the ball with two hands two hands on the ball and then you know invariably a game would, would come along and and one of the guys would would try to make a spectacular one-handed grab, and he dropped drop the ball, and the coach would go, see what I'm telling you guys. See what I'm telling you. You're going to drop the ball. Use two hands. Always use two hands. And somehow, some of those things your coach tells you when you're a little kid, stay with you your entire life. Tuesday night, I was at City Field in New York. My daughter, Ashley, was taking me to the Mets game for combination Father's Day and my birthday, and I'm all about baseball, I'm all about spending time with Ashley if I can get time with her, and so it was a great night and a, a great game, uh, Johan Santana not only hit a home run uh, to put himself up one and nothing, but he pitched a three hitter over the Cincinnati Reds, pitched Nine innings won the game. It was one of those spectacular, dramatic baseball games that you love to see when you go to the ballpark. But one of the more dramatic moments came somewhere around the seventh inning when uh, when they were shooting those T-shirts into the stands. You know, poof, those big poof. And, and they were shooting a couple dozen during the game. They shot some in the third or fourth inning. Later in the game, they are shooting some more. And so, you know, I'm thinking, you know, maybe, who knows. But then a big... Giant guy, strapping guy comes. And he walks down. He stands right in front of me. We're we're in the second deck, as you can see in the picture there. He stands right in front of me, like if a T-shirt comes, I'm the one who's going to get the T-shirt. He's he's you know this is what he's thinking in his mind. You know he's got the cutoff shirt, muscles are bulging. Guy works out in the gym every day. I only work out every other day. <laughs> so. You know, so I'm, they're shooting the T-shirts. They, they stop shooting the T-shirts, it appears. And so, you know, I was standing up for a few minutes. I sat down. The big guy was still standing up. All of a sudden, I, I, I felt this flurry of activity off to my right. And I looked up in the air, and about 100 feet in the air, lit by the lights of City Field, was a T-shirt bundle that was twirling, 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 twirling. And I looked up at it. The hang time was like five minutes. I just looked up at it. I had time to have a conversation with Ashley. I said, I said, that looks like it might be coming to me. And so I stood up. The big guy was standing to my left. A couple other big guys came standing to my right. And, the, and as that T-shirt was coming down, the closer it got, I just knew it's coming To me, of all the thousand, there were 27,000 people there that night. Of all the 27,000 people, that T-shirt was was mine. It came twirling, twirling, twirling. Suddenly it was upon me. I reached up with two hands. I grabbed the T-shirt. I made the catch. The big guy starts beating on me. The other guys start beating on me. But I wasn't gonna drop this T-shirt because I was using two hands. I remembered. I made the catch, I pulled it down, I fell back upon the concrete steps. Doesn't matter, I work out every other day. My body can take the punishment. Fell down on the concrete steps, in one motion I handed the t-shirt to Ashley. Ashley looked at me with that look of your daughter who's who's been living in New York for 11 years, and that look was, Dad, I'm not wearing a Pepsi t-shirt. There's no way I'm wearing a t-shirt that says Pepsi on it. You know, so I looked at her, I saw the look. I said, little kid comes walking down with his big baseball hat and his glove. I said, if you want to give it to the little boy. I said, you go ahead and give it to the little boy. So we gave the shirt to the little boy. He was happy. I was happy. Everything turned out okay. Because I made the two-handed catch. What a coach should have also said to us somewhere along the way is this. Your soul tells the story of God. Your soul tells the story of God, boys. So be careful with your soul. Find your soul. Hold on to your soul with two hands. Take care of it because your soul tells the story of God. It would help us in more ways than we could ever imagine if we would just live as if we really knew that. John chapter 15, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Here's Jesus speaking words about your soul and how the only way your soul works is with him connected To it in a vital way. And if you stay connected to Him and you do bear fruit in your life, if if good for the kingdom of God comes out of your life, you might even be pruned back. That might hurt a little bit, but it's so that you can bear more fruits. Maybe it's going to prison so that you can bear more fruits. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, sometimes people will take that verse out of context, and they'll say, you know, if I can ask whatever I wish is going to be given to me, I'm going to ask for this. It's out of context. The next verse really tells you what Jesus is, is trying to say. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It's whatever we want that is going to bring honor to the kingdom of God. It's whatever we want. It's the desires of our heart that will make an impact for who Jesus Christ is in the world today. It's a family trip to Nicaragua and you go and your life is changed. It's a trip to Togo, Africa to dig a well that you never thought that you would do it's going to Tennessee with a group of teenagers and working to rebuild roofs and porches. It's, it's giving yourself and your life away to kids this summer in an activity that, uh, that changes their lives because they meet Jesus Christ for the very first time. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, You will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Listen to his words. He's talking about your soul, the only way you find your soul, the only way you live powerfully out of your soul so that your joy is complete is if you obey his commandments you live his life. You let his life connect to your life and you live it vitally in real time. My command is this love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. This is the relational integrity that we have with God. We're not just here to serve God and and we don't get to know the deeper things about God and who he is. We're here to be on a one to one relational level with him through his son. This is amazing, this is astounding that you can have a real personal relationship with God. I stood in front of a bunch of students the other night as a university professor. And I was about to give them the syllabus for the class and tell them what they were going to be required to do because I get to do that because I'm in charge there. And I said, "You know, I'm not here because this is a university And I'm not here because I'm a professor. I'm here because 40 years ago, God changed my life. He showed up in my life, and I know him, and he speaks to me, and I speak with him. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ was talking about. We get the privilege and the honor to know God personally. It's a decision that you make in your heart. You did not not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, to change the world in a lasting way. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Last week, I showed you a a place where there was the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the Trinity was right there. And here it is again. The Trinity is right here, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. John chapter 7. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. These are stunning words people don't talk much about words like this. A Pulitzer Prize-winning author once said, people don't talk much about the soul anymore. It seems a lot easier to live a life than to craft a soul, said Anna Quinlan. See, we look in in the wrong places for connection. Connection. In, this, in the song that was, was featured this morning, the chorus that's repeated three times, aches for something, aches for connection, but the connection cannot be found here. I thought if I could touch this place or feel it, this brokenness inside me might start healing. Out here, it's like I'm someone else. I thought that maybe I could find myself. If I could just come in, I, I swear I'll leave. Won't take Nothing but a memory from the house that built me. And, and it touches our hearts because we all have these memories. We all have these places that we, we connect to in life. But if all you do is connect to places in life, you'll miss the most important connection of your life. Your connection with your soul. God wants us to be connected to him. We get connected at the soul. God wants you to be connected to your Holy Spirit-soaked soul because that's what connects to him. God wants you to live out of your soul because that's how you find meaning and accomplish his will. God wants you to give away your soul because that's what everyone around you wants to see and hear and know. It's not giving your soul away. It's giving away everything that, that emanates powerfully at the core of your very being. Your soul tells the story of God. Hold on to that with two hands, boys. Your soul tells the story of God. But in order to know your soul, you'll have to unlock three theological puzzles. Puzzle number one, disappointment with God. Puzzle number one, Disappointment with God. Let me read to you from Soul Revolution by John Burke. Ever wonder why God allows disappointment? What's his purpose? During one period of our church beginnings, we had to meet at a different location or time every week for six weeks. So began our frustrating two years of moving between Two and three hundred people from one location to another all across town, sometimes with only five days' notice. What am I doing wrong? I would cry out to God as I ran along the top of the Mansfield Dam, overlooking the diamonds of sunlight, dancing across the waters of Lake Travis. I wanted to make a difference for you, Lord. Why are you fighting against me? I was confused. After two years of wrestling with God, I felt broken like never before. I take my mountain bike out into the hills and spend hours crying out, What am I doing wrong? And when I received nothing but silence for a year, I finally grew silent. Then in the quiet, I began to hear in my soul, not an answer to my pleading, but a question in return Am I enough? Am I enough? Of course you're enough, Lord, I'd answer intellectually. Haven't I given my life to serve you? Didn't I prove I'd leave it all to follow you? But when the deep struggle for peace and joy wouldn't let up, I had to admit the heartfelt truth. No, Lord, right now you are not enough. I'm not at peace being faithful to simply love you and my family and enjoy using my gifts to serve you. I need things to go my way according to my plans. That's the truth. That's why I was struggling. My hurt and frustration with God. My lack of joy and peace betrayed the truth. God was not enough. Faithfulness was not enough. I needed God plus. God plus things going as I planned. I wasn't okay with God being God in my life if he didn't do what I thought he should do. I wasn't okay with simply being faithful to live in his will each day. I spent the summer wrestling to surrender, letting go of playing God and learning to follow again. The sad thing is I thought I'd already learned this lesson, but now I see that life with Christ is not so much a one-time decision to trust, but more like a series of daily decisions to trust. At times, this feels painfully discouraging, but more and more I see hopeful progress. Slowly but surely, God's peeling back each layer to reveal who he really created me to be at the core, and the result is something inexplicable a joy that bubbles up from within me at the most surprising, unwarranted times. It's this experience of a far better life than just getting things to go my way. It's this spiritually fulfilling life I taste more and more that motivates me to write. But it doesn't come from the strategy of trying to control things or to get God or others to do my will. It doesn't come from trying to be good for God so God will be good to me. It doesn't come when circumstances change to finally go my way. That strategy doesn't work. This my will, my way tendency we all struggle with is the reason God allows disappointments. And so you unlock this this first puzzle, disappointment with God, when you realize that a lot of the time we're disappointed because we're trying to control things and get things to go the way we want them to go. And so we end up disappointed. God, why aren't you letting me do this? God, God, why did you put this thing in the way? And God's saying, Am I enough? Am I enough? Puzzle number two is disappointment with life. Disappointment with life. Michael Rasnick's story is a story of disappointment with life. Life is not going the way he wanted it to go, life getting to a point where it's totally out of control. And yet when he went to prison, he ended up being a guy who helped inmates get their GEDs. He ended up being a teacher and a mentor and a a person who, who would be a friend to others who were in that place and struggling. See, the only way to figure out puzzle number two, disappointment with life, because we all get disappointed by life now and then, is to let whatever it is that seems to be broken become redemptive. To let whatever it is that seems to be broken become redemptive. No matter what it is. Take whatever right now is your biggest disappointment with life and figure out a way that God could use it redemptively to help others. Figure out a way where you could take that experience of great disappointment with life and turn it into something akin to Romans 8.28. For God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes There's a puzzle number 3 It's called disappointment with with relationships disappointment with relationships <laughs> LeBron what in the world were you thinking LeBron You're like the greatest player that ever played the game. There's nobody ever come along any better than you, LeBron. I am very disappointed with LeBron. LeBron's going to Miami, and I'll tell you this right now, ain't going to win a championship this year because his little uniform is too big for him to fit into the pressure that he's put on himself. And if you saw any of of his crazy decision show on Thursday, ESPN, you saw a man who was scared. You saw a man who was tentative. You saw a man who really was, was probably thinking, am I really doing the right thing? And a lot of relational disappointment hovers over Akron, Ohio right now. A lot of Relational disappointment hovers around the NBA right now. And the NBA in Akron, Ohio, are only a microcosm of real life because disappointment with relationships is probably the biggest puzzle of all. The point of life is relationship, John Burke writes. Loving God and loving people sums up what God created us for everything else written in the scriptures is commentary on what that means so spiritual growth isn't something like out there you can't get your your hands on so so spiritual growth is relational and in order to understand relationships you have to understand three things first people have limitations people have limitations if you're married You know this. You learn this right away. It's like the first thing out of the blocks. People have limitations. There are things they can do and things they can't do. Everybody deals with their limitations all the time. If you're able to do something really, really great, there's also things that you do really, really poorly. It's just the way Life is. People have limitations. Next, there is tough love. Nobody likes tough love. Nobody likes tough love because tough love holds you accountable. Tough love says you're not trying hard enough. Tough love says you need to take a look at this part of you that is not functioning that well. And I'm telling you that Because I care about you. Tough love says you need to get counseling. Tough love says we're not going to have this conversation anymore. And, And this is one of the most difficult things about Christianity. Because we want a Christianity that's always singing, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. We want that kind of Christianity. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. We, we like that kind of Christianity. And, and that's part of Christianity. But tough love is also part of Christianity. And the hardest times I have ever had as a pastor and the hardest times I have ever had as a friend and the hardest times I've ever had in, in mentoring relationships is when it comes time for tough love and people turn away. I thought it was Jesus loves me, this I know, or the Bible tells me so. And if that's all you want, you will never be fully effective as a person following Jesus Christ. Because if you look at his life, he was constantly calling people on stuff. He was constantly saying, that's not good enough. Take a hard look at yourself. Do you even hear what you're saying? Do you believe what you are pulling off in the name of God. In order to understand relationships, you have to understand three things. People have limitations. And there's got to be tough love. But nobody likes tough love. Finally, and this is what everybody longs for, there is God's love transforming you through relationships. It is unconditional and sometimes seems irrational. Grace can seem like that. But it is the most powerful force on the planet. It can change everything. Malcolm Gladwell ends his best-selling book, The The Tipping Point, with these words. Look at the world around you. It may seem like an immovable, implacable place. It is not, with the slightest push, in just the right place, it can be tipped. He writes this amazing best-selling book about how if you just get the right thing in the right place, everything shifts. And that's just worldly wisdom. That's looking at the world and saying, mm, "I see this, and I saw that, and it all of a sudden shifted." Think. How much more powerful that is when we let God's love transform us and suddenly, suddenly everything tips in the right direction for you and for God and for everyone else. True unconditional love is the tipping point of our lives. It accepts limitations, is tough and yet full of grace. Get that right. And you've put together the most challenging theological puzzle of all that leads to your soul being free and not manipulated by people or circumstances. This guy's life is being manipulated by people and circumstances. He's looking for a house somehow to, to give him a direction in his life. When you become free of that, when your soul is free of that, doesn't matter. If you go to prison, because you're still a free man at the level of your soul. You may know that there's a soccer match this afternoon, football, as they call it, around the world. You may know that the Dutch are playing for the very first time. What you might not know is that in 1987, Ruud Gullit, star soccer player for the Dutch, was named European Player of the Year. He received one of those great honors, one of those pinnacle moments because his performance was was just so, so much at the peak of the game. And then he turned around and he dedicated his award to Nelson Mandela, who was still in prison at the time. Gullit met Mandela after his release from prison years later and told the Times of London in 2007 that Mandela said this to him Rude I have lots of friends now when I was on the inside you were one of the few there was a tipping point in the life of Rude Gullit where he no longer needed the world's accolades or the world's attention for himself. But he was willing to put the spotlight on someone else so much more deserving because his soul was free. For your homework, try the 60-60 experiment this week. All you have to do is look at pages 42 to 45 for details and, and Adam Bradshaw will be speaking to you about that next Sunday. Let me close with this with this brief story because to me, it, it, put, it put it all in perspective. On Tuesday, I went to the box office of Million Dollar Quartet, which is playing on 41st Street in New York City. And I asked for an inexpensive ticket to the show. And the guy gave me a ticket in, in the orchestra section for 40 bucks. $125 seat. For 40 bucks. And I watched this show that was about Elvis Presley and Johnny Cash and Jerry Lee Lewis and one other gentleman who was one of the, the fathers of rock and roll. And how they came together one night in 1956, December 4th, 1956, with Sam Phillips, who was the, the head of Sun Records and who had given these guys their, their their first start in their careers. And they came together for one Jam session that night. And the whole show was about about what they did with their music and what they were doing with their lives. And yet right through the middle of that show ran the idea of the soul. Right through the middle of that show happening on Broadway was the idea that unless you get connected to God and unless you get connected to the soul that God put inside of you, you are going to miss your life. That night, Gal and I went to see Memphis, which won for the, the Best New Musical this year on Broadway. And guess what? Right through the middle of that show was the idea of your soul. If you don't get connected to your soul or if you become disconnected from your soul, you're lost. If you don't get connected, you'll miss everything. Everything. You must be connected to your soul. Why, in the middle of one of the greatest cities in the world where people pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars to go see these shows, why is the soul so preeminent and so prominent and so right there for the picking? It's because God hasn't given up. It's because God reaches out over and over and over again. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and from him will flow rivers of living water. Your soul tells the story of God. You better hold on to it with two hands. It will give you a soul revolution. Dear Heavenly Father... I thank you for this time. I pray that the souls of men and women would be lifted up right now. I pray that there would be new life infused into the souls of men and women, that men and women would start to really live out of their souls, that they would connect to you in ways that allow them to become everything that you have destined for them to be. I pray that people would stop looking to connect to things in life that do not give life. That they would connect to you, the only one who can give life. Father, in all these things, allow us the honor and the privilege to be the body of Christ, to be the church, to change the world by giving away what you have put in our souls. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.